When I came in as a freshman in high school, I went from a guy who never ran track in his life to a state finalist. I went from somebody who was literally the last person recruited to the Minnesota team in that recruiting class to the best person in that recruiting class. I went from being in my life now to somebody who I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life to somebody who like runs their own business and makes money freelancing and have a job that I absolutely love. Like I, like I just knew it's going to take time, but every year I will get better. Hexel, thank you so much for joining me on D One on One. Absolutely. Um, to give you a little bit of context of what this is and what we're trying to do, this is a platform that we're building to try to unify the voice of all college athletes. I know you ran at the University of Minnesota as a track and field athlete in the eight hundred. Um, could you give us a brief overview of a little introduction to who you are, what you do, and what your story is? So, just like an elevator pitch of my my life. Yeah. Um, two, two minutes and 30 seconds. Two minutes and 30 seconds. I kind of stumbled into track and field because I hated baseball and I just told my parents I wanted to quit baseball. They're like, you, ha you have to do a sport or get a job. And I said, as a high school student, there's no way I'm getting a job right now. So mm. I joined track and field because all my friends were in it and it kind of just took off for me. Yeah. Um, I loved my coaches, absolutely loved my coaches and they, they gave me everything in that sport and that's why I'm here today. Mm -hmm. Um, it kind of just took off. I, I was a natural at it and got recruited by University of Minnesota. Went in there kind of as a as a underdog recruit and ended up being a Big Ten champion and All American wow. in the eight hundred meters at in yeah. It was What's your sweet. PR? Uh, One forty seven point two. I've never even run sub two, dog. <laughs> <laughs> you can though. You can. I mean, we'll we'll see. We'll see. We got we got to set up a race. Yeah. <laughs> uh, went with that. Was two time All American, and then. <laughs> Two, 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 two right. Okay. And then, uh, graduated. I got some offers to run professionally, but it was nothing. I, I, I didn't feel like I truly could give the sport my all anymore. I thought I gave it all every five years that I was in college and just didn't think the offers that I had was, was enough to keep me going. I didn't want to do it mm. for the money. I really wanted to sit down and do it because I truly, truly loved the sport and it just, it didn't sit right with me. And I actually stumbled into my next passion in life, which was videography. And I really started freelancing and stuff on my own. And I found out this was, that was truly like my passion and what I wanted to do. And I kept doing freelance. And then I, um, somebody found me on my website one day and offered me a full-time job being a videographer. Wow. And when was that? Um, geez, it was about a year ago that they found me mm. off my website. And then it took like four or five months to actually um become the position in the like full-time role i was freelancing with them for a while though yeah so what year did you graduate from minnesota 2017 2017 yeah. i did five years so it's been three years yeah go from <laughs> that's a crazy transition too especially in such a unique industry and realm i yeah. know you're self-taught in that too but before we get into any of the videography stuff how did you get into running running kind of how i said before in the little pitch that so i know baseball oh, yeah sorry, how did you get into baseball 
Where did your where did my dad's a begin huge baseball really fan? Um, yeah, he played softball ever like literally since I was born. He's been on a softball team, so uh-huh. he's always loved baseball. I always I actually played up on my brother's team for baseball, so I always mm. played upper grade, and then I played basketball and football my entire life. I was a sports fanatic and still am. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of like my only identity in life really was being really good at sports. Really? Yeah. That's what everybody knew me as when, if you ask somebody, Hey, describe Mitch, they would say he's athletic. Mm. And that kind of became who I was and, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And then my dad said, he's like, Hey, you're going to get a job or you're going to, you're going to pick a new sport. <laughs> Like, well, I'm definitely not getting a job. Yeah, I was like, there's <laughs> no way I'm getting a job. Uh-huh. So I chose track because I knew the coach and I had friends that were going off the track team. Mm, so what year was that? My freshman year of high school. Freshman year of high school. Yeah. Did you start 800 right off the bat? No. Crazy story. I was actually a 110 meter hurdler. 110 meter hurdler. <laughs> they forced me. They forced me into it. So I swear. How did you transition into the 800? I hated hurdles. Dude, I tried so hard. I was like, all right, I'm going to try hurdles. And I'm like very like inflexible. Mm-hmm. So and you have to be flexible around hurdles. And I just like could not get the form down for my life. And it was just driving me nuts. And I like I knew in the back of my mind that this wasn't my best event. I was good. Um, I probably could have been probably could have been all conference scored points for my team, you know, but I knew like that wasn't my peak. You know, mm. I saw other people running other stuff and I would crush them in practice. And I'd be like, why am I not running this? I'm literally beating like the best other people in this event mm-hmm. and I'm running hurdles. So I just said like, Hey, give me a shot at the 800. And my coach put me in the four by eight. I ran the best time. Mm-hmm. When was that? That was my, like literally the very end of my sophomore year. Wow. So for two whole years, I ran hurdles and the uh, kind of the four by four. So was the fact that you weren't reaching what you perceived to be your potential in it, that turned you away from it in hurdles. Yeah. 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 Well, I kind of hear that in baseball too, though. Yeah. I just like, I knew something inside of me that the coaches didn't know. Mm. Like I, I had this burning passion, like the 800, that is my thing. I know it. Like I absolutely know it. Just give me a chance. You know, Why and it was took that? them over a year and a half to give me a chance. How I don't know. You know. There's just, you know, there's just like something in me that's just like, like videography. It's just like, it's just like, we'll get to that later, but it just called me. You know, I just like kept seeing people run it and I'm like, like, I know this is my race. Like I should be running wow. that right now. And it just took me a while to kind of build up the courage to put my foot down and be like, I'm going to run the race now. Whether you like it or not, like you got to put me in this and give me at least one chance. So how did you end up at the University of Minnesota? Um, my Actually, the distance coach at my high school knew Steve Placentia, who was the head coach, and he put in a good word for me. And like I wasn't running crazy times in high school. Like I wasn't – I was running 157, one, like 157, 156s. Um, so like I wasn't like a we got to have this guy type of recruit. Mm-hmm. Um, like not so, even some, not the kind of recruit yeah. coaches would reach out to. Absolutely not. But maybe the kind of recruit that if you emailed the coach, you could convince them to give you a walk-on spot. Yeah. And, and here's the thing about that is even that. Even that's a stretch though with a 157. Yeah. 157 is not like that great. But yeah. 
but I was so invested in football and basketball. Like basketball was my entire life. Really? Like, basketball was my thing until my senior year of high school. Like it was basketball. Wow. I, I, I got bumped up grades to play like with older kids during basketball. And um, yeah, so like that was my, I, I thought that was my calling at the time. Mm. Even though I got offers to play in college for basketball, I turned it down to run track. Really? Yeah. So I basically trained for track maybe three months out of the year. I literally stepped onto the track and like that was it. So how did you go from being a 157 guy that never really trains to, you know, being the walk-on or scrub or whatever at a division one power five program, like the university of Minnesota to then becoming a two-time all-American? A lot of pain. <laughs> I put myself through pain for two plus years to get to the body I mm, wanted. Why is that? Um, because track's hard, man. If if you can't go through the pain and you can't keep a level head through all the ups and downs, you're not gonna make it. And I, I love competing. Like it's just, I I always say when I when I get into tr- when I, which was part of the reason why I didn't go pro. Like when I step on the track, I'm there to win. Like I'm not there because like I absolutely mm. love running. I, I just, I love winning. Really? Yeah. And I knew that's what drove me. Crossing that finish line at first is one of the best feelings you can, you can possibly have. And you don't get many. So you got to cherry, cherish every single one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So for about two years, my coach drilled me and was trying to make me a 400 runner. Um, again, like long legs fast. You thought, you thought it would work out, but I just wow. knew I was 800. And it was the same thing is high school believe it or not really it took me a year and a half to finally run an 800 wow so then what was that like was that tough yes making it to college thinking you made it but then in reality it's not what you wanted it to be yeah i mean yeah it was it was kind of it was a little bit annoying but at the same time like maybe I, maybe i could be a good 400 runner and i was good I ran 47, five. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, it's good, but it's not great. Like yeah. I'm not making that next step to the low 46s and 45s. Like that wasn't mm-hmm. going to happen for me. Um, but moving up to the 800, I always knew that it was just, it was that thing. It was my calling. Like mm-hmm. basically I loved how the race filed into one lane, your shoulder to shoulder with people, just like in distance running. Like it, it's way more of a dog fight than staying in your lane the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like I got to rush off that. I love when a guy tries to close on me and I can just elbow him out like that. I love that about it. That's that basketball in you right there. Yeah. I didn't mind contact at all. Uh Uh-huh. So where do you think that winning mentality came from for you? Throughout my time, there was, you could see a lot of, you know how like there's a lot of kids that come into track and field and they don't even make it all four years. For me, I came in with about 12 kids in my recruiting class and only two of them made it to the fifth year, me and my roommate. Wow. So you see a lot of people slowly discover their passion or fall out of love with track because it's just not like panning out for them. For mm-hmm. me, I felt like more and more in love with my race and I knew that was my thing. And you could see other people finding their, their things as well, even though it might've been outside of track. So mm-hmm. for me to actually like get pa- really passionate about one certain thing, I was very unique in that sense. Like what was your approach when you were on the starting line to push through all that pain so that you could achieve the goal that you set out for yourself? Uh, I mean, I was, it was so 800 specific for me. 
I always look at each race, even for the 400, I can't really speak to other events too much, but for the 800, I would say, um, half of the race is 600 meters, right? Mm. The first half of the race is 600 meters. The last half of the race is 200. Wow. So you got to make it to 600, right? And you got to be feeling confident. You got to be feeling good. And you just got to realize for 200 meters, you're going to go through a lot of pain. But if you are the person that can go through the most pain and keep going, you will win. Wow. So that's how I looked at the race. I was like, I have to get to 600. And if the guy is, the, the leader is next to me, like I'm not letting him go. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not letting go of the pain. When you reflect back, what's your favorite memory? The locker room by far. Just, really? the, just the people you meet along the way, the people you hang out with. Um, if it's, it's not the titles. No. You're a two-time All-American. Honestly, those those are amazing, and I would wouldn't give those up for anything. Um, it's something I'm extremely proud of that I worked for because I literally said my entire fifth year is to be an All-American. Mm. That's what I dedicated the year for. I was like, I'm not coming back for anything else besides to be an All-American. So you weren't an All-American. You came back your fifth year and got two. Well, I was a second team All-American. Okay, okay, okay. And I was like, I want to be first team. And I guess okay. Team. Again. <laughs> He's still two-time All-American. <laughs> yeah. But it's the guys in the locker room? Yes. the Like, my uh, freshman year roommate, it, I'm going to be in his wedding this summer. So, it's like wow. the, the friendships and bonds that I've made throughout my time there was, was priceless. And that's going to last way further than my career, obviously, because mm-hmm. my career is over. I think that's kind of timely with corona and everything that's happening right now. Yeah. Like, to me, I feel like so many athletes, particularly spring athletes but also winter athletes who missed their championship it's like it was so heartbreaking at first and i think it's because we think we're trying to do this we're making all these sacrifices for the titles mm-hmm. but in reality we take for granted every day the relationships we have with our teammates 100 percent. and not only that but also just the ability to inspire people and we really undermine and underplay that our ability and capacity to do that. Mm-hmm. As soon as you finish your collegiate career as a track and field athlete, what was that transition period like? Really difficult. Um, I went my entire summer after I graduated without a job. I was kind of like, I would say semi, I wouldn't say depressed lightly, but I, I wasn't really depressed. I just knew I was like not myself for probably three weeks to a month yeah i just knew like i'm not myself right now and i don't know why and i was having quite a bit of identity crisis into who i was because everybody knew me as an athlete like every time i'd go hang out with friends that weren't on my team they'd be like oh this is mitch he runs track in minnesota he's the big 10 champ like like every time they'd introduce me, that's, that's what they would introduce me as like, not because I wanted it or anything, just cause mm. like, that's what, that's the pe- thing people knew about me. Mm. So how would it feel when people introduce you as an athlete? Good. Because of things good, I but accomplished. You, but why was it then? Was it because you weren't an athlete anymore? But oh, you're saying can, when I was like, yeah, now after that I'm you done, were done, not, after you were they, done, when people introduce you as an athlete, kind of like a has been, like, really? I didn't do anything more with it. Wow. Um, they said he was a big 12 champ. Yes. The was is always in there now. Really? Um, it doesn't really hurt. 
I get, I'm, I'm totally comfortable with it now. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm totally past that stage in my life and I'm so comfortable with talking about the, like the past as, as like just happy times. Um, really excited about everything I did and I have zero regrets in my college career. Zero. Mm-hmm. As soon as you finish your collegiate career at Minnesota, you go through the identity crisis as Big 12 champ, two-time All-American to a former athlete, to someone who was a Big 12 champ, to someone who was ten. an All-American. Ten. Big 10. <laughs> Sorry, I'm in the Pac-12. We don't know. We don't know much about the golfers <laughs> out there. I know. Nobody but, does. <laughs> but when you're going through the identity crisis, as many athletes do once their careers end, what do you think helped you the most through that? And what advice do you have for athletes now who are going through that? Especially as so many athletes just had their careers yanked out from under them from an IG post. Yeah. Um, first thing, identity crisis is real. It is, what is it? It's very real. Like, you, how would you describe it? Like, kind of like I said before, like there's just a hole in you and you don't know where it's from. Mm. You have no idea. You think you get done with your sport and you like, like, obviously you're emotional when it's end, when it's right, when it's over, but you like, you think you're going to get over it and something just like never really gets repaired. And it, it just like, you, you like, you, you don't feel whole. You don't feel like you have, really have a purpose anymore. Mm-hmm. The, I, there was a, there was a hole in me and I didn't know where the hole was coming from. Yeah. Like, was it my job? Was it my friends? Was it my girlfriend? Was it my family? Like, I just, I had no idea. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's just a hole in you. It's just kind of, it's really weird to, to go through. And I didn't, th- I didn't think for a second it would happen to me. Not really? for one second. I thought like I was so confident in like where my life was going. And the one thing I have one piece of advice that got me through this entire thing throughout my entire life, whether it was high school, college, or now I have always succeeded and it's always taken time. Mm. When I came in as a freshman in high school, I went from a guy who never ran track in his life to a state finalist. I went from somebody who was literally the last person recruited to the Minnesota team in that recruiting class to the best person in that recruiting class. I went from being in my life now to somebody who I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life to somebody who like runs their own business and makes money freelancing and have a job that I absolutely love. Like I, uh, like I just knew it's going to take time, but every year I will get better. Mm, So the focus was always on getting better. The focus is on always improving no matter how small. Why is that? It adds up, man. Really? It adds up. The time and the hours add up. What what path were you on after you finished college? Uh, a really weird one. I jo- had a com- I had a job at a manufacturer of industrial cleaning equipment. Really? Yeah, I was a product manager, and sounds like a good gig. It was a really good job. Like, yeah, I made great money out of college. Uh huh. But the job was for like if I had five kids and wanted to stack up my four hundred one k and was going to retire in ten years. You know? Yeah. Like. You it was take that? the safest job in the world. Yeah. And kind of like the eight, it's exactly like the 800 where really? I just knew there was something more. Mm-hmm. There was something more to this. And I just knew being this comfortable in this job 
wasn't the move for my happiness. When did you make the pivot towards your happiness? I had a really lucky person, my girlfriend, decided to move to Colorado. Um, and I made the choice to come with her. And when I came with her, I didn't have a job for three months. I quit my job, moved out here with her, no job. And I was like, so I had been on this, like I've been, been freelancing before, but I didn't really get any traction with it. So I gave up on it for a while. And I was like, maybe, maybe freelance isn't for me. And then my girlfriend Bailey, she goes, maybe you should uh, try freelancing again and see where it goes this time. Your videos have gotten a like a lot better. I'm like, shoot, well, let's, why not? Like I have all this time yeah. on my hands now for video. Yeah. Mm. I was like, I have all this time on my hands now. I'll figure it out. And, uh, it blew up. <laughs> it just like, thank God for her giving me the, the, the relight, you know, mm-hmm. to get back into it. And it, and it took off from there. Yeah. What were you doing to make it take off? I also had a full-time job. So I was full-time jobbing and freelancing. Wow. Um, my job was running social media and video stuff for this shopping center, which I wasn't really a fan of, which is why mall? I continued. Yeah. The mall, which is my mall, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is why I was freelancing mm-hmm. because like that fueled that kept me happy and that kept me my purpose going. The freelance, the freelance, the freelance mm. was always, always the thing that kept me going. If there's ever something that you have a passion for and maybe it's not your nine to five or whatever you're doing, you better be doing it outside of work. I'm telling you, you better be doing it like really either to feel either to not make money and just feel your happiness or to actually make money to build it into something else. To me, the biggest tragedy of college sport is how many athletes have the potential to do absolutely incredible and inspiring things outside of sport, but don't believe in themselves enough outside of their sport to mm-hmm. pursue those things. A hundred percent. And I think that go, I, I would say most of that falls on coaching. Really? I think the best coaches are not necessarily that'll push you in athletics, but they push you in life. Mm. Like they make you believe in yourself. My coach, I remember my coach did one thing that always stuck with me and it was just a it was a weird scenario i was running in the big 10 finals my fifth year i was against isaiah harris shout out to isaiah harris because that dude is fast um he beat me every time but i remember i was running against isaiah harris and my coach comes up to me and looks me in the eye and says you can beat him <laughs> and i was like yes i can i didn't beat him but i knew that dude was like top three runner in the nation i was like i can run with if i can run with him i can run with anybody like i'm not afraid of anybody anymore like you can step on that track you can step on that field and you can compete with anybody and you have to believe it and i just like i believe that with myself if i put in the time i can compete with anybody so to me when athletes don't believe they can achieve something and something i admire so much about you because and why I believe in you so much is that you set high goals for yourself in this passion videography that you've only been doing for mm-hmm. what a year and a half, two years now. Yeah. I would say give or take two years. And you went from doing it on the side when you weren't working at the mall to now doing it full time for a real estate firm. Right. And leading the video production for that firm, which mm-hmm. is like, such an incredible 
jump in and of itself in the short period of time that you've been doing it mm-hmm. and the content speaks for itself and how nice it is and it's why this d one-on-one episode is so beautifully filmed is because we're using your equipment <laughs> but <laughs> the uh, so shout out to you but how did you discover videography it kind of discovered me <laughs> i got very lucky in the fact that like i would go on all these like it's kind of a typical videographer story but maybe new to some other people so i'll say it anyways um i was just going a bunch of vacation with with my friends honestly mm-hmm. we'd go on tons of vacations and i would always bring a camera always whether it was the very first gopro that came out or every single one after that until i upgraded to dslr and drones and whatever i would always bring a camera and i would always make a video my first videos are like 45 minutes long and they're just like a complete documentary of camping trips and they're awesome like they're horribly edited absolute horrible but they're pretty funny and it's like a great memory but it sparked there and every single video i made i just got better and until the point somebody saw one of my stupid travel videos and they're like wow can you make one for our brand and i'm like holy crap <laughs> the game just you'll changed <laughs> you're like you'll give me money to do this yeah i was like what mm-hmm. i couldn't believe it and it was i i remember it so perfectly because it went from when instagram was 15 seconds to a minute when instagram went from 15 seconds to a minute video like the game changed how old are you again 26 <laughs> i'm joking i'm joking <laughs> you remember when instagram was 15 seconds because i do no dude i'm a millennial you don't remember Dude, Instagram didn't have I'm video. Joking, I'm joking. And they came up 15 seconds, then went into a minute. And then all these companies started pouring money in. And I'm like, holy crap. My guy, thank you so much for taking the time with me. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Any other messages or thoughts that are on your mind right now? Um, I would just encourage, you know, people to really hop in that next like phase of their life with an open mind and know that like it no, it is it's gonna be okay and you're gonna figure it out. There's a lot of, a lot of people out there and, and stuff to, um, help guide you and kind of keep you up. If you get down, um, you'll find your way. You didn't, most of us, I would say most of us didn't walk in, um, day one freshman year and we're the best person on the team. Maybe Mm. there's a few cases out there. I know a couple Anthony Davises or Carl Anthony Towns, but, uh, (laughs) Most of us didn't walk on and we're the best person and you worked incredibly hard to either be the best person or accomplish what you accomplished. So do the same thing with life.